Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Hockey Talk. As always, Paul Hillier here along with Steve Fitzsimmons and Andy Clark. Uh, another great show lined up for this evening, guys. Uh, and Andy, uh, you probably outdid yourself yet again. Uh, a great guest coming on the line in just a minute or so to talk to us. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit how you, how you scored such a high-end uh, gentleman to speak with today? Tell us about who it is. Yeah, well, I'll jump right in with it. It's uh, from Sault Ste. Marie. We're talking to uh, Craig Hartsburg, who uh extremely accomplished player, had a 10-year ten, NHL career, three-time all-star, uh, played in several world championships, was in two Canada Cups, and then had an outstanding career as a coach also, uh, head coach for several teams in the NHL, associate coach, assistant coach, and also uh, coached a couple gold medal winning world junior teams. Whew, I'm running out of breath and I'm just covering <laughs> part of the resume, so we have so much to talk about. So uh, welcome to the show, Craig. Oh, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm going to kick things off. Uh, we we're going to talk first maybe a bit about your playing career and then uh, then dip our toes into uh, your coaching career and uh, hindsight's 2020 so looking back we could imagine that when you were playing in the Sioux uh, you played three seasons there your second season you were uh, leading scorer on the team and then your third season uh, some people might say you slacked off because you were no longer leading scorer but uh, <laughs> there was the, the the big guy had come to town and what I wanted to ask about was how much buzz actually was there about Gretzky coming to town because now we just assume it would have been huge because we've seen that with Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid and stuff. But how much did you guys actually know about Kretzky uh, before he showed up in the Sioux? Well, it certainly was a, a different time with uh, with the media and social media. So uh, it obviously was not the same hype as a player of that caliber would get nowadays. But I knew Wayne. I, I didn't know Wayne, but obviously knew about Wayne growing up in Stratford and uh even though he was younger, I certainly uh, saw him play. Uh, Brantford and Stratford we were basically in the same league, so I, uh, he was younger, but I did watch him play. So anybody in southern Ontario knew who Wayne Gretzky was. I think the people in the Sioux uh, may have heard his name, but certainly weren't uh, uh, in tune in how, how, really, how great this, this kid was. And, uh, but it didn't take him long. Uh, it took him about two scrimmages in, in training camp here to to prove that this guy was something special and uh, I got you know obviously had a chance to play with him uh, the only year he played in the Sioux and and uh, played with him in some Canada Cups but uh, obviously the greatest player of all time absolutely Craig and uh, you had a uh, you have a nice relationship with the Sioux you were there as a player you went back as a coach for a number of seasons as well and um just take me back a little bit. Uh, a Stratford guy um, ends up at, with the Sioux Greyhounds a long way from home. Uh, what was that transition like when you're just a young guy? Well, it was interesting. I'd uh, I'd actually uh, grew up in Stratford and I went went to play as a 15 year old in Guelph for the the Guelph Biltmore Mad Hatters in the old Tier Two league there. And uh, it, it, again, with without the 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 social media of, of today you really didn't know a lot about the the ontario hockey at that point it was the ontario hockey association you knew about kitchener rangers you knew about london knights and the toronto marlboros and and the Sioux, a, a fairly new organization and in the league so i, I honestly god i ne- didn't know where sue samory was and uh come draft day you know it was again it wasn't like anything like it was today uh, all of a sudden, I got a phone call late in the afternoon saying that I was drafted third pick overall by Sault Ste. Marie, and it was like, okay, that's good. And I had no idea. We knew there was a draft coming, and they knew I knew it was fair, rated fairly high, but uh, once I found out how far away it was, it, it, not just for myself, but my family, we were quite shocked and a little bit surprised and a little bit hesitant. Uh, but the Sioux, again, they uh, had a great organization, great owners, uh, they flew me and my family up, and uh, we spent a weekend in the Sioux, and you know we fell in love with the place. I fell in love with the place, and and really have never left. Uh, uh, I went home for a couple summers while I was playing there, but after that, this is really it's been my been my home. I've met my wife here, and my daughter lives up here, so it's uh, it's a pretty special place for me, and it's. Uh, uh, I've been, you know, looking back on it, I was, I was very lucky to be drafted here. I, 
And the first pick, I think, that year was Kitchener. The second pick was London, which were within a half an hour of Stratford. But uh, the one that was 500 miles away has certainly been a perfect fit for me. That's great. And uh, you mentioned the Guelph-Biltmore Mad Hatters. And, of course, they're receiving an awful lot of attention this week with uh, both NHL GMs in the Stanley Cup final uh, originating uh, from the Guelph-Biltmore Mad Hatters. And both were players as well. That organization has produced a lot of good players, including yourself. Well, it was interesting. They both those guys. That we I think we were in the same high school. They're a year or two older than I am, and uh, so we got to know each other a little bit. And then they played uh, for the junior B team there in Guelph at the same time. And uh, certainly remember them both. And then obviously when they got to the National Hockey League, they were you know very competitive uh, players. But real, real, real good people. Real smart guys. Uh, and it, it obviously is a pretty special series for for the people of Guelph and then I guess uh after that little stint in in the Sioux you were drafted uh sixth overall by Minnesota which is I guess for you a, a, fur, a further move away from your original home uh so it seems to be you're getting further away from home all the time well it's interesting we actually I left my last year junior and uh, went to the WHA and uh part of the baby bulls in Birmingham we uh, we went and played for the Birmingham Bulls in the World Hockey Association as a 19-year-old. It was uh, it was uh, Rob Ramage, uh, Ricky Vive, Patty Regan, um, uh, Gaston Gingras, Michelle Goulet. Uh, so we spent a year there all as 19-year-olds before we got drafted in the NHL, and it certainly was a great experience, and it, it really helped all of us, I think, get ready to play in the National Hockey League. And I mean, in in Minnesota, of course, you got to play with a, a great number of players who have had uh, tremendous careers as well. I mean, you, you know, the, from the Neil Broughtons and Brian Bellows, um, a gentleman you played with for a number of years. Uh, my father grew up uh, I, in Toronto, I'm assuming, is where they were at the time, that he knew very well. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Steve Payne uh, oh, yeah. is a good friend of my dad's, and I was just wondering what you might remember about Steve. Oh, Painter was great. He was uh, a real good teammate. We had a, we had a lot of a lot of guys actually that that were from Ontario, and uh, you know uh, Tom McCarthy, Bobby Smith, Steve Payne, and Painter played in Ottawa with Bobby Smith, uh, and we we had some real battles uh, here in the Sioux against Ottawa in the playoffs. And it was funny when we got when I got drafted there was it, it was great because I I knew them, but I didn't know them, but obviously knew them as players and. Uh, Steve was a big at that time. He, he big, strong guy. Right now, nowadays, he, he'd probably just be an average winger. But yeah. at that point, he was he was six two, six three, probably two ten. Uh, but always played his best hockey at playoff time, and uh, just a knack around the net. But he was he was a big, strong guy that was tough to move from in front of the net. But uh, Painter was a lot of fun, and uh, he was a great teammate. Um. Now, speaking of other teammates, uh, you played on some uh, Canada Cup teams. You played on some uh, uh, World, World Championship teams. Yeah, sorry, I lost my uh, train there. But we, we know that Wayne Gretzky was probably the greatest player you played with. Uh, some of those Canada Cup teams, like those lineups were unbelievable. Uh, for our listeners and viewers, uh, it was 81 and 87 he was on the Canada Cup teams. So if you go to the 87 team, uh, there was, of course, Gretzky, but Lemieux, Raymond Bork, Larry Murphy, Mark Messier, Dale Howarchuk, Paul Coffey, all down the list, huge list. But if you go back to the 81 team, like it's Gretzky, Bossy, Troche, Guy Lafleur, Gilles Perrault, Claire Gillies, Dennis Potvin, all the way Marcel Dion. Now, I'm not going to ask you to compare those two teams, but I am going to say, who would you peg as like number two and number three greatest teammates you ever had after Wayne? Well, you know, that, it's obviously a tough question. There's so many great players, and really, you're just naming them. It's for, for me, it's pretty humbling to, to been even have a chance to play in those teams with those guys. But uh, uh, and, and, I, and I think the 87 Canada Cup obviously is a highlight for, for myself and a highlight probably for a lot of players. And uh, that tournament was, uh, it was an amazing uh you know, a display of skill from the Canadians, but also the Russians. And, and you look back at it, obviously Gretzky was a huge part of it, but, uh, you know, the two players that, in my mind, that stuck out the most would have been obviously Lemieux. It was, 
was one. Gretzky and Lemieux, they put on a show, and it was almost a little bit of a competition to see who was going to make the next great play. And and uh, but for me, the the best leader and, and the guy that really rallied that group and kept that group together, you know, at times when we were down, was Mark Messier. He was uh, the things people have said and they've read about him as a leader is is all true and, and probably even more. Um, his intensity, but his just love to love of the game uh, was amazing to, to watch and, and to be a part of. Well, Craig, you were a pretty good leader yourself. You were the captain of the Minnesota North Stars for seven seasons. But the, the season I wanted to ask you about is uh, you guys went on a pretty magical run in 1980-81 where you uh, got uh, 19 games into the playoffs. Can you take us back to that uh, particular year and what it was like? Uh, yeah, well, it was an amazing time, actually, in Minnesota. Um, it, was, it was our second year, my second year, I believe. Our first year, we actually, had, again, we were a really young team. A lot of high draft picks, Bobby Smith, like I say, the guys we talked about, Steve Payne and McCarthy and, and uh, Cicerelli and Neil Broughton, we were all under 23 years old. Even the year before, we, we ended up losing in the semifinals to Philadelphia, and uh, you know, it was a quite experience. We beat Mon- Montreal in Game 7 in the quarterfinals, and Montreal had won four cups. So it was, it was really a, a neat experience that year. But the following year, again, I thought we, had a, we were a decent team during the regular season and uh, you know, obviously not, not one of the top teams. So uh, our, our seed was uh, starting the first round against Boston, and... And it was an interesting thing that Boston had, or Minnesota had never won a game in the regular season in Boston, ever. Wow. In, 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 uh, in, the, in their franchise history, I believe that we were in the league for, I don't know, 15 or 16 years, but they'd never won a, a regular season game there. And I remember late in the season, we had a game in Boston, and it turned into just a, quite a a Donnybrook and end up with five or six guys left in the game for both teams. So it kind of sent a, a message and it, and it gave our young team some confidence. And we ended up playing them in the first round. We beat them three straight at that time. There was It was three out of five series. And we bossed them three straight, and it just seemed to, to, to build our confidence. Then we went on to beat Buffalo, I believe. It was uh, in five games. And then we had a real tough series with Calgary, and beat them, I believe it was in six, and then we end up uh, meeting probably the best team that in about a four or five year period there, the New York Islanders. That there was nobody uh, in our league that could play the game they they could play. They could play fast. They could play skilled. They could play tough. And uh, I believe we lost in five. But it was uh, the the whole state of Minnesota was excited. We were we were young. We were having fun, and uh, we were close, but. The Islanders were again. They were they were such a strong group, and uh, I don't know if we I don't know if we played our best, but it, it certainly if we didn't, it was mostly because of the Islanders were were that much better at that time. Um, so your play career ended uh, relatively early uh, after ten seasons. Um, you you ended up in eighty eight eighty nine, and a lot has changed in the game since then. So I just wanted to pick your brain for of the changes in the NHL game since then till now. What are some that you feel are are the best changes, the best evolutions of the game, and what are some that aren't so good? <laughs> well, you know what? It's actually been a well. It's, it's obviously a long time since I played, and I've I've coached in the in the game, you know, a lot longer than I played, but. It kind of went through, through different stages, really. That became a really uh, in the in the 80s. It was a it was a wide open game. It was exciting, and you know, lots of goals, and it was offense. And through the 90s, then it really tightened up, and things started to turn. The game started to change. It was a became a bigger, stronger game, and uh, the checking and the hooking and the holding and uh, it, it slowed the game down. It was a very competitive, hard game to play. Uh, but again, I think we we lost some of the creativity, the beauty of our game, the speed, and uh, you know the changes that that have come back. Where it's opened up the game again, where uh, you know they basically uh, eliminated the interference and, and holding and hooking. 
through the neutral zone and your stick work, uh, you know, and now you're, you have to keep the sticks down. You can slashing, the hooking, and all that stuff is, is out of the game. And it has made the game faster. It has made skilled players uh, allowed to use their skill. It's, it's allowed smaller players to get back into the game. The excitement of and the speed is the game's never been faster and the game has never been more skilled than it is now and uh, it's pretty exciting hockey these uh, playoffs have been amazing the finals are going to be an amazing display of, of that and I just think right now the game has probably been, played the, the best it's ever been played and uh, not just the, the players, the skill the speed but the, the entertainment value right now of, of, of the game is, is to me at the all time best and uh, the fans are you know, they pay a lot of money to watch our game, but it's uh, they are paying for the best product that's probably ever been put on the ice in the National Hockey League. And I mean, now you've had some pretty good uh, seasons as a as a coach yourself over the years, and you've coached uh, quite a few different teams. Would you happen to maybe have an idea as who your who the best team was you ever personally got to coach? Well, obviously the World Junior teams that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They won gold medals, uh, and I was I was lucky to be part of three of them. One as an assistant coach for for Brent Sutter, and then then two I was the head coach. So th- those obviously were the best teams. But uh, when I first went to Chicago, we had a really good team. We ended up losing um, to sh- to uh, Colorado in the, I guess it would have been the quarterfinals in a great series that had all kinds of overtimes, and Colorado ended up winning the cup that year. And, you know, we had we had some real good players, and some, it was a veteran team: uh, Jeremy Roenick, uh, Tony Amante, uh, Ed Belfour. Chelios, best player that I probably ever, best player that I've ever coached was Chris Chelios, and he was uh, obviously an anchor on that team. And so that, that was probably the, the most talented group. And uh, and as an assistant, we, you know, we've had some good teams. I was in Philly when we lost in the semifinals to to Tampa the year they won the Cup. So uh, those are probably two of the best teams that I was involved with as a coach at the National Hockey League level. And junior, obviously, there's lots lots of good kids you you get a chance to play or coach. And uh, probably the best junior team I had was uh, my year in Guelph, actually. We had had some great kids and some real top-end players and Todd Bertuzzi, Jeff O'Neill, and uh, lost in the finals, uh, the Ontario Hockey League finals. But... It was a it was a great year with a with a great great bunch of kids and uh, working for Mike Kelly was 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 a great experience. It uh, he really made me a better coach and it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, Mike Kelly, a class act, and I know uh, you're thought of. Uh with reverence in the in the Guelph community for that particular season, and um, you know when you look back on your career, you were an assistant coach for a number of years in the NHL, and then you came back to Guelph as a head coach. And I'm assuming that was by design to to jump up to the head job to be able to go back to the NHL as a head coach, which is exactly what you did. Yeah, you know I spent some time in Philly as an assistant, in Minnesota as an assistant. I felt it was it was time to try to be a head coach and. I talked to a lot of people, a lot of hockey people, and they, uh, you know, their their advice to me really was to, to try junior hockey, and, and that'd be a great start to uh, to be a head coach. There's so much teaching. There, the game is, uh, uh, is is a great game in junior hockey in Canada, and and it was. It was a great experience, and I was I was very fortunate uh, to, uh, to to get into that situation in Guelph. Great ownership. Uh, Mike Kelly and, and coming into a team that was uh, that struggled but had some real good pieces to it. So it was it was a it was a great situation. And, and looking back on it, it was only one year, and it, I, it, it, but things just worked out so well that I had some offers. And and in this game, I guess you're when you get when you get called, you you you, you have to be. You have to be ready, and, and uh, you have to be excited about that challenge. And uh, but leaving Guelph was hard because of, of the people that were were part of the team and, and the and the kids that were were still remaining. It was uh, it was a tough choice, but again, I wouldn't probably ever look back and say I I should have done that or I would do this again. Wouldn't do that again. That was a it was a great situation in Guelph, but I had a great opportunity in Chicago. Um. So after you left Guelph and. Uh 
were in the NHL for a bit. You uh, went back to the Sioux, then you were with the Senators. After the Senators, uh, you went out to the West. And uh, what was it like? Was there any major difference uh, coaching in the Western Hockey League compared to the Ontario Hockey League, or was it pretty interchangeable? Uh, there's changes, and, and you know, I wanted to try something different. Uh, you know, I, I probably could have maybe stayed in Ontario or, or went back to the NHL as an assistant somewhere, but I wanted to try something different. And again, I, I, I was very fortunate. Uh, Doug Sotart uh, was the general manager, and he brought me out there, brought my wife and I out there, and it, it's such a beautiful area, uh, just north of Seattle, and didn't know a lot about it, and went out for the weekend, and and I wanted to try something different, and, and it, it was a great experience uh, in the Western Hockey League. It, the, there there are differences. The hockey is hockey is uh, you know in a lot of ways people say hockey is hockey, and it is, but there's it is a, it is a, at times can be a, a tougher brand of hockey in the West, and it wouldn't say it's a huge difference than than Ontario or or Quebec, but the, I think there's uh, there is probably a little bit more of physical play out there, um, but you know, again, they're kids and they, they they just love all they love to play, whether it's Ontario in the West or, or Quebec. Uh, but the big difference was the travel and and how those kids adapted and and fought through some adversity that that I'm not saying there's no adversity in Ontario, but uh, when you get on a bus and you're you're going 20 hours to start a road trip uh, to the east. It's it's a it's a different phenomenon that the kids in Ontario don't don't see and, and don't have to address. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's it was a, it was certainly interesting and uh, uh, I, I I enjoyed it. I, I I thought it was a great league and uh, great franchises, lots of great buildings and great fan support in the U.S. teams out there as well as the Canadian teams. So it was a great experience for me. Craig, I wondered, uh, your son, uh, Chris, is the uh, head coach of the Erie Otters this past season and had been an assistant coach previously and then went to the USHL for a couple of years. Um, I assume he's obviously uh, consults you probably on a regular basis when he has a, you know, such a, a built-in uh, amount of information that he can he can talk to dad about but uh did you see um with yourself that you were going to be a coach and did you see it with your son that you thought he would be a coach as well yeah you know what he grew he grew up obviously in the hockey environment uh you know he played you know, as a kid and then uh he was actually drafted by guelph and you know he he, he made his own decisions we we tried to Show him what what options were out there. He ended up going to uh, Omaha for a year and played in the USHL, and then uh, got a scholarship to Colorado College and was ended up drafting by New Jersey. Played a couple years in the in the American League for Jersey. Uh, ended up going to the Central League at the end of his career. There, he got hurt a few times with his knee and uh, started his coaching career as Colorado Eagles of the, the Central Hockey League and. Actually, when I went to Everett, uh, I brought him into Everett as an assistant coach, and uh, it was really a neat thing because you know when, when you're in hockey as a player and as a coach, and your son's doing the same thing, you kind of you kind of miss a, a lot of time together. And uh, so we coached for two years, and, and he he lived with us for a year, and then he was on his own for a year. But it was great because you, you get to, you know to renew some things with your son. It was a lot of fun and. I could tell that he was intense about it. His knowledge of the game was good, and uh, he just needed some experience, and he's gained that over the years. And uh, He knew going into Erie that it was going to be a rebuild situation, and uh, following a team that's had so much success, it was. I think it was a little frustrating for him, but I, I think he understood stood going in that it's, uh, the team was is going to be in the rebuild, and and I think he, again, went into a good situation because he's working with good people. And he was lucky, again, to, to, to get hired by a, a real good general manager and a real good person in Dave Brown. And then the ownership there is real strong. And, and uh, so, again, the situation is good for a, good, for a young coach that he's going to have a chance to build and, and grow with his, his young team. That uh, uh, I think they made some strides this year with the young players, and hopefully next year they can and take a couple steps forward. 
And uh, so you're back in Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, you do some snowboarding in Florida, I understand, like uh, many retired hockey players. And uh, you're doing uh, some uh, consulting type work or some work with uh, Sault Ste. Marie uh, minor hockey there. So I wanted to, to pick your brain about a topic there where they, in minor hockey, have the, the younger players on, on the half ice. It's a pretty loaded issue, and I just wondered what your views were on it. Well, it is, and and what I think first the, 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 we've started a coach mentorship program here in the Sioux, and we're working with everybody from midget right down to the Timbits. And uh, again, we're, just, we're we're we got I got involved, and I just want to try to help. I I, I thought it was time for me to try to give back, and if I can help young coaches uh, get better, help young coaches coach, then. We're helping our kids, so uh, we're pretty excited about what we're, what the challenge is here, and we're, uh, like I said, we're, we're working with those guys, and we're trying to set a program up. So again, from the time they're six to the time they're 17, they're, they all have the same vision and they all have the same identity, and uh, so, so that's one of our goals. As far as the half ice, I, I, I personally do agree with it. I think it's. Uh, it's, the change is hard for for anybody in any walk of life, and it seems to be even harder for hockey people. Uh, <laughs> but I, I I do believe that it is for the right reasons. And uh, I've got two grandsons that are playing. One is uh, one is eight, and one is six. And the eight year old uh, is is not going to be fully into it. They're going to do a modified uh, thing up here for his team because it was a select team. So he's got the opportunity to do do both this year. Uh, but the six-year-old is going to do it, and he's going to do it for another couple of years, and I think it's going to be great for him. He's uh, It'll give him a chance to, to play with the puck. It'll be in smaller areas. You go watch these six-year-olds or in some seven-year-olds, it's the best skater they figured out just shoot the puck off the boards and go chase it down you get a breakaway and to me that's not uh uh that's not serving the, those kids the, the best interest for those kids they got to learn to play with the puck in tight spaces they got to learn to 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 move the puck to teammates and i think when they're playing on the big ice it's it's an awful lot of ice for kids that are not the best skaters to cover playing against a kid that is a good skater so I think it's a good thing. I think there's probably some tweaks and there's some things they're going to have to change as they go along, and they, and they'll do that. Uh, I'm a big Hockey Canada fan. I trust uh, that they're doing the right thing for for kids in Canada. Uh, there'll be lots of opposition, I'm sure, all over the country, not just in Ontario. But I think in the long run, I think it'll make the game more fun, and uh, uh, that's again that's what we want our kids to play the game you're going to compete and you're going to be a good player but you want to have fun and I think this is I think this in the long run will will allow kids to be involved in the game and and enjoy the game more very well said Craig and uh, we're just unfortunately flat out of time but uh, you've had a, a great uh, playing career an excellent coaching career and we certainly appreciate your insights and time tonight well thanks for having me anytime that's Craig Hartsburg a former NHL head coach and all-star player uh, on the phone from his home in Sault Ste. Marie and uh, we certainly appreciate his time and we'll be back with more on Hockey Talk right after this. Well, welcome back to Hockey Talk on Blue Water Radio 91.3 FM and on Eastlink TV. 610 and high def channel 610 and high def we just had a great chat with uh longtime nhl player and coach uh craig hartsburg and uh in a moment here we're going to get talking about this great stanley cup uh final game two coming up tonight but just a few quick notes to throw out there first uh first of all uh congrats to the toronto marlies uh they're going to be in the calder cup final with the texas stars they're playing great and quite frankly, if you've been a longtime fan in the Leafs organization, you've got to be excited any time you see uh, success brewing at any level of the organization. So Let me just say I'm, I'm actually cheering for the Texas Stars because uh, former <laughs> Guelph Storm forward and all-star Jason Dickinson's on that team, so okay. I'm pulling for Jason. Okay, interesting angle there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, nice. Uh, so the Marlies, uh, and by the way, I noticed a few games have been slipping onto uh, major network TV recently, and... I love watching the AHL anytime they have it on there. It's kind of nice to see those up-and-coming guys and 
few guys that have had a few tastes of it and are still hanging around trying to get back to the NHL. So. You know what? It's interesting. I think they've had a, a renaissance in the interest in certain, and certainly in in a, a variety of markets, including the Toronto market, where you see guys that are on the cusp of the NHL or have maybe played in the NHL a little bit come back, and uh, it's uh, it's a much more affordable ticket. You can go to a you know Marley's game. I'm assuming for like 25, 30, 40 bucks type of thing, and you know we know what the Toronto Maple Leafs are. You know, 300 bucks if you're lucky to get a ticket, kind of thing. Absolutely. So yeah. I think a lot of fans have found that as a nice entertainment option. And, and for a lot of reasons, you can get like some very top-notch talent that is in the AHL, like Shea Theodore, who you know set up that great goal in the last game. You know, he started the season in the American Hockey League just because uh, I think he was the only one that was uh, uh, with. Without waivers. Without waivers, thing, yeah. yeah. So they said, based on his play, he should have been on the, the big league team, but he was sent down. So, you know, when you see those gems of players uh, for relatively inexpensively, it's it's a great entertainment option for sure. Um, we want to also throw a, a congrats to uh, Acadie Bathurst Titan for winning uh, winning well the Memorial Cup. Yeah, French immersion. Nice. There you go, buddy. Yeah, uh, over the Regina Pats. It was a pretty exciting game uh, for one that yeah. ultimately was 3 nothing. You know what? Uh, that's a great thing for the Canadian Hockey League, and I'll tell you why. The Acadie Bathurst Teton are the smallest market team in the Canadian Hockey League, even smaller than the Own Sound Attacks market of 20,000 um, population. So uh, their first ever championship, and I think it gives hope for each and every market in the CHL. It's a great thing. Small markets, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at one point in the second uh, second period where it was just – it was an onslaught of there were 17 straight shots by Akadi Bathurst and uh, Max and of course I'm blanking Paddock sorry Max Paddock was the goalie for Regina he stood on his head and just made remarkable so it was only it was after two periods it was still one nothing and the shots was something like 35 to 12 or something like that so he legitimately gave them a shot to win that game and uh, it was it was relatively exciting one there would have loved to see Hamilton pull it out but uh do you know what? Every year, guys, uh, there's one team that gets into the tournament that is pretty happy to be there and was, and maybe a little bit surprised to, to be there. And I think this year it was the Hamilton Bulldogs, and they did they did themselves fine. You know, they went uh, two and two in the tournament, but uh, they probably were a little bit surprised to to get there. If you look back at their trajectory over the season, you know, they made moves to get there. But I, I don't really think a lot of people thought that they were going to beat the Sioux Greyhounds and be the representatives from the Ontario Hockey League. Yeah, there's so much talk about teams like Kingston, Barrie, uh, Sarnia at one point yeah. was a lot hot topic. And yeah, of they course won 16 Sioux, in a row. And Sault Ste. Marie, right? So there's so many powerhouses in the OHL. So I, I kind of have to be honest. I thought since they overcame uh, all of that opposition, I, I thought they would be in strong for the Memorial Cup, and they certainly did themselves proud. But uh, good on the QMJHL. Sometimes it's looked on as, as the weaker cousin, and uh, well, a lot of years it is the weaker cousin, but yeah. this year is not the case. And obviously, the Teton were a force to be reckoned with. They serve some notice for sure. Um, and I also just want to throw because uh, our radio portion is in Gray Bruce. I, I know uh, Patrick Palmu. Finnish player was very popular uh, when he was with uh, the One Sound Attack, and he played this past year in uh, Finland, uh, Rookie of the Year, had a very solid season, and uh, he signed a three-year entry-level contract with the Vancouver Canucks. You know what, a a smaller guy, but a very skillful guy that uh, has a lot of grit to him as well, and he's a guy that, uh, you know, they got him fairly late in the NHL draft, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised. It's an organization that's a little bit... Uh, short of high-end talent right now, and he's going to get every opportunity to perform first in the AHL, but then later in the NHL. We know the Sedins are gone; they're they're looking for you know high-end quality players, and I think you know he's a guy that I think is worth the risk that they gave in the draft for him. And uh, I'm not too surprised to see that they signed him, and I I think he's got a real good shot to be an NHL player. You know, just as you're saying that, I had real real visions of Cliff Ronning. Mm-hmm. who physically was about similar stature, highly skilled guy, little bit of grit, who had a very long and impressive uh, NHL career himself. Yeah, that's, that's quite well spoken. I mean, Cliff Ronning had a, had a great career, and, and Palmer, you can really see the similarities in their game. And, you know, we wish him the best of luck being an Owen, an Owen Sound guy. Uh, you know, we always hope that the local guys make it and have long careers around here, and uh, he's got a good shot out in Vancouver. And uh, that brings us around to uh, tonight's game. So, uh, what are your thoughts? What are what are the key factors in tonight's game? 
Well, the key factor for me is going to be the uh, pregame presentation <laughs> and how good it is because, I mean, I don't know. Obviously, everybody watched the pregame presentation the other night, and if you, you're a, an avid uh, listener and viewer of Hockey Talk, you know that I came back from Vegas telling you that their pregame uh, presentation was the highest level I've ever seen in, in hockey, and they outdid themselves even compared to that presentation the other night, but... I say that in jest, but, you know, that was a fun thing to watch, in, in fairness. And, uh, you know, they put an awful lot of uh, time and entertainment value into that. And I think it's uh, it's neat for the fans. And I think uh, maybe it's going to raise the level of entertainment value around the league where other people are going to have to step up to the plate. And, Paul, I mean, uh, you know, other people have, you know, done this same old sort of stayed and tried and true um, promotions and presentations, I think they've taken it to another level. They definitely have it. I mean, the, the one the one uh, tried and true that I remember mostly is with, out in San Jose at the Shark Tank. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking. Of and, and you know, they 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 were to me the cream of the crop for years, and now right. and now Vegas has just come along and just basically changed the whole way things are done and blew them out of the water. So you know, it's it's nice. I think it's going to bring a, a bring a new generation of fans out to games that that enjoy the entertainment value of the pregame stuff, be, as well as getting into the game of hockey. And I mean, as for tonight's, you know, the Washington Capitals are going to have to solve Mark Andre Fleury. And I mean, he he's been phenomenal throughout the playoffs. If the if the Knights win this Stanley Cup, he's got to be. Uh, in line for the, he'll be the consequence. Yeah, he has to be, and and I mean for my for my playoff uh, hockey pool's sake, I hope uh, I'm I'm praying like for me the best case scenario would be for Vegas to win it in four straight and have low scoring games. Right. Just because of the way my hockey pool is set up, I don't have any Washington Capitals on my team, so I'm in deep trouble if they start scoring goals. But you, know, uh, you got to give credit to the guys like Ovechkin, Nicholas Backstrom, guys who've played their careers out long time and have had no taste at a Stanley Cup, you know, you almost got to pull for them to finally get that opportunity, whether you like the Caps or not, you just got to give them that chance because they've, they've really earned it, but uh, Vegas, is gonna, Vegas isn't going to roll over and lay down for them either. Clearly not, they win the first game 6-4, to four. you know, uh, to take off um, on what you said, Paul, is the fact that, uh, you know, Washington was able to score four goals on Marc-Andre Fleury, who had mm-hmm. allowed, I think, two in his previous three or four games, and I forget exactly how many. But um, it was just that they, they their defense was very porous, really, and, and to allow six goals, I mean, you know, the, the gap control for a Stanley Cup final game was, was I thought, terrible, really. Uh, you know, there was uh, a lot of open ice out there that guys were taking advantage of, and, and I don't know if that was, you know, down to sort of opening night Stanley Cup play uh, final jitters or or what it was, but uh, I mean, they both teams really have to tighten things up defensively, and also you know j- just uh, focus on you know not taking penalties because we see that the special teams make such a big difference in the playoffs, and both of these teams have done well with that throughout the Stanley Cup playoff run that they've been on. So you know, I I just it wasn't. What I thought that game was going to turn out to be, I was looking for a you know a two to one, three to two, maybe a defensive feeling out sort of thing, and we got into this shootout at the OK Corral, and the goaltending wasn't that great, and the defensive zone coverage was very poor. I mean, it was an entertaining game. I'm not taking anything away from that. It just really, Andy, wasn't what I was expecting to see. Yeah, and that brings to mind that maybe Vegas is. is- greatest strength is its versatility because they can play in those games that are that they win one nothing and grind it out and slow it down and slow the pace and they can forecheck hard and they can back check hard and they can also play those wide open games which it's almost like Washington kind of said okay we have a lot of skill here let's open it up and Vegas was able to go step to step with them and stay calm about it like really to my mind in the first few minutes Washington was a bit of physical presence. They knocked a few bodies around, and they served a little bit of notice, and it was like, yeah, we're here, our head's in the game. But, you know, Vegas just hung in there with them and then played their game also. They don't get rattled. They can just play any way. Absolutely. And I was talking to Trevor Pryor, my broadcast partner with 
Guelph Storm. And, of course, his uncle Dave is the goaltending coach for the Vegas Golden Knights and used to be the goaltending coach for the Washington Capitals. And Trevor was saying, you know, um, there's a lot of pride for Dave because each and every goaltender in the Stanley Cup final was either drafted or selected by him. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, eh? so, you know, Holtby and Grubauer both selected from the Western Hockey League, the Ontario Hockey League by Dave and groomed and as his goal as the goaltending coach for them and of course he made those selections for the Vegas Golden Knights goaltenders as well. Of course, Mark Andre Fleury a no-brainer. But you know what? He has worked with Mark Andre Fleury and if you've read up on some of the things uh, that that Dave has said, he he's gotten Mark Andre Fleury to move just out to the very edge of the crease to uh, utilize his size a little bit differently, and and of course throughout his career to be play, playing further back in his crease, and uh, that's really paid huge dividends. That little type of style change uh, with his game, and um, we see the numbers and we see the year that he's had this year. It's made a big difference. Yeah, you know, if you harken back to last year's Stanley Cup playoffs, you know, because he had had some injuries and Matt Martin had emerged, some people were talking about, you know, is Fleury done? Is he over the hill? Is he past his best before date? And uh, his answer emphatically has been no. That's for sure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the other thing that, that strikes me too is, uh, you know, you got two Guelph guys. We mentioned that earlier with Craig. Uh, facing off against each other in the Stanley Cup uh, finals, both GMs, Brian McClellan and, and George McPhee. But uh, I wonder what George McPhee is feeling and thinking right now because, you know, he built the Washington Capitals up until two, 2014. His former so- assistant GM, who he'd played hockey with in minor hockey, had grown up with, played with the Biltmores, went to college with, and then brought him in as a, as a scout and ended up being his assistant GM, is on the other side. I mean... You know, it, it's really a, a phenomenal story when you think about it. Yeah, like can these guys actually go out for dinner uh, before the series is over? Is it, yeah, what's the protocol and all that? I remember being, uh, when I was involved with the Queens football team, uh, Doug Hargraves was our head coach, and we were playing his, uh, uh, he had been a mentor to the head coach of Western there, uh, Larry. And uh, I know when we, we played preseason games against them, and uh, they went out for dinner and stuff like that, but that was preseason games I'm, right? I'm imagining it's it was probably the after cup. the cup yeah. final you know I, I don't imagine it's going on during yeah. but I think you know both ways there's going to be players on both sides that are going to be very happy even though they're disappointed for themselves I think they're going to be very happy for some of the people that they know on the other side as well now I have a question here for both of you guys and we'll start with Paul who would you say has been the more effective physical presence through the playoffs so far would you say ryan reeves or would you say tom wilson for me tom wilson by a country mile um he's and you know what tom wilson i remember him as a an ohl player with the plymouth whalers and he was a very good offensive player you know point of game guy you know he had that grit and sandpaper as well to his game and i i figured that he was going to be much more of a offensive scorer in the National Hockey League than he had turned out to be until this year. And, of course, he's getting a chance on line number one with Ovechkin. And now we're seeing the Tom Wilson kind of evolving into the guy that I thought he maybe would be. But for his first three or four seasons, he hasn't been. He's been more of, you know, for lack of a better term, their physical goon-type player, you know, the guy, their enforcer. And But he's always had that skill level, and it's kind of nice to see him evolve. And, yeah, he still gets himself into skirmishes, as we've seen, Paul, including in Game 1, but uh, which I thought was a, 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 de- a fair hit. It, it was shoulder-to-shoulder to, shoulder to me, and I'm not thinking it deserved to be a suspension. And I, I know there's been a lot of whining and crying all over social media about it, but, uh, you know, it's not been the worst thing that Tom Wilson has done this year by far. No, definitely not. And, I mean... There was, there was no intent on that on that hit. I mean, it's just, it's just a simple matter of where his shoulder connected. I mean, we all we all know Tom Wilson. He gets a, into the physical game, but he's not a dirty hockey player. And he can play you know, too. And he can. He's got skill. He doesn't play dirty, but he just he just got very unlucky there that his shoulder was basically considered a hit to the head. And I think that was that was the reasoning for the behind the suspension is that you, you, we just got to stop the hits to the head. And I mean. That wasn't what his intent was. He probably had his shoulder lined up to the other player's shoulder, and it and it you know all it takes is a guy moving. I mean, it's a fast-paced game. A guy moves two inches, and it changes the trajectory of your hit, and and it's just unfortunate for him. But Tom Wilson has played a great series. He's been a contributing factor of 
basically knocking the other players around and making them weary of going into the corners when he's out there. And another guy to be looking at on the Washington Capitals that's been throwing his weight around is Alex Ovechkin. He's been a monster out there. I've seen him crush several players and he he's demonstrating he wants the cup. there's no yeah. question about oh, it. He's 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 got it in his sights now he's and he's in. on fire and uh he's not letting anything up. He's giving everything he's got. So, you know, you got to give kudos to him. He's the star player for the Capitals that he always has been, but he's also showing now that he's got a lot more to his game than he's ever shown us before. On to your point, Nitty, about uh, Ryan Reeves though. Uh you know, I think the the Vegas Golden Knights have found some good value with Ryan Reeves. I think uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins significantly overpaid for Ryan Reeves when they gave a first-round pick last year um, for him. And, and you know what? I think you could generally – he's generally acknowledged maybe as the top sort of enforcer in the, in the National Hockey League. But uh, he scored in a very important goal for Vegas against Winnipeg. I think he's played a regular shift since he's come over. But they paid a third-round pick for Ryan Reeves, which I thought was a, a reasonable price for a player of his ilk. And, you know, he's contributed in that lineup. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, you know, I think we're going to see that collision course between Tom Wilson and Ryan Reeves at some point where they're going to have a, a, you know, a, a fisticuffs, some type of fight. But, uh you know, both of them are contributors in that lineup and aren't just, you know, there for that. Yeah, they're not one-dimensional. Exactly. Like in the early 90s, uh, a lot of teams had at least two really one-dimensional players out there. Yeah. They, they have to play the game now. And uh, with Ryan Reeves, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit about banter and such. And, and against that Winnipeg series, he made some of those comments along the way where, you know, some reporters were actually talking about how strong Bufflin was, Dustin Bufflin, who is right. just a you know unbelievable He's physical a monster, presence. Yeah. He's a monster, and it was interesting that Ryan Reeves, he basically you know they're like, is he the strongest player in the NHL? And Ryan Reeves was, I am. <laughs> he says I'm the strongest, right? They got a lot of reaction, but I was thinking maybe you know, he's right. If you're his teammate, right or wrong, the fact that he's sitting there saying that there's kind a of, little swagger to it. Yeah, there's a swagger to it that can make your teammates play a little bit bigger. Because if Bufflin's in their head, they're the ones that are out there and they're in the sight lines for Bufflin. But you know, when he says that, that kind of takes a little bit of the steam out of that mystique around yeah. that physical presence. And I thought that was pretty clever when uh, he was ready to go with all that. Well, we're going to take our last break and we'll come back with our final thoughts right here on Hockey Talk. You know, even just his experience at the two Canada Cups and uh, at the World Juniors, the guy's seen and done so much. And welcome back to Hockey Talk. Paul Hillier along with Steve Fitzsimmons and Andy Clark for our, our few-minute wrap-up show, uh, our season finale here on Eastlink TV. Uh, the show will continue on radio for the rest of our regular regular listening audience. Season three, yeah. Season three is coming to an end for us, and, uh, you know, summer's coming pretty quick. So, uh, you know, guys, we've had, we've had a pretty good season all in all. We've had a lot of great guests on the show, and, uh, you know, it's, it's been an interesting thing. I've learned a lot about a lot of different players and uh, coaches, et cetera, over the year, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, to have Craig Hartsburg tonight, uh, you know, he's certainly a class act and uh, had a, a storied history, really. The only thing he really didn't do was win the cup and uh, yeah, as either a player or a coach, but uh, he sure got close a few times and, uh, I mean, uh, an all-star player three times and, you know, he was a head coach a number of times in the, in the National Hockey League and, and uh, you know, it's, uh, it was a great chat with him. Yeah, you know, even just his experience at the two Canada Cups and uh, at the World Juniors, the guy's seen and done so much. Well, just just to listen to even the final comment he made about uh, your question about uh, minor hockey instituting that sort of the half ice stuff. I mean, it, just a wealth of information and uh, perspective. Uh, you know, it, it is a pleasure, I have to say, to, to, to get to speak with people like that on a weekly basis on this program. And, you know, we're a humble little show from Hanover, Ontario. And, uh, you know, yes, I have some connections, but Andy has done an awesome job this year as well getting uh, some of the guests that we've had. And uh, he's kind of taken over the role of executive producer this season <laughs> that I've had a couple in the first two years. But uh, And he's done a, a whale of a job with it, and you're able to get Craig. And, uh, um, you know, I think it brings a neat perspective to, to our local audience and, of course, across the province with our Eastlink TV viewers, and I hope they've enjoyed it as well. In, in many ways, we're almost like uh, sandwiched the game beautifully because we've talked to so many 
young OHL and junior players that are on the rise. Yeah, like Connor Roberts. Connor Roberts and Doug Blaisdell and a huge list all the way through there. The past years we've talked about Nick Suzuki and Alex Dabrinkit and we could just go on and on and on about the young stars Dylan we've Strom talked to. Yeah. Um, Kyle Copobianco and such. And then we've talked to so many players. Uh, we've talked to a few that are still in their careers. We've talked to a lot that have retired, gone into coaching, gone into scouting, other stuff. And we've also talked to other people, like uh, we had Scotty Davis there, a former trainer for the league. Yeah, that was a great interview. Yeah, so we've talked to him. different views on the game. So, yeah, we, we've really been able to get at it from many, many different angles. It's a lot of fun to do. When we think back just uh, over the last uh, three years of doing this, who's your favorite guest? Like, Do you have a favorite one, Andy? Um... Oh geez, uh, I had a lot of fun. Not to put you on the spot. Yeah, yeah, I did. No, we've, we've had so that. many good ones. I know. I, I had a lot of fun talking to Elliot Friedman. Yeah, I know he was going to talk to. Uh, sorry, I'm blanking on uh, Sid and Tim right Tim after. Sid, yeah, right after us. And it was. I just remember coming up with a big smile on my face when he's like, oh, "I'd rather keep talking to you guys than, <laughs> than those two idiots." Right? He was just having fun with us. Yeah. But, yeah. And then David Amber and stuff. We were uh, doing some shtick back and forth between uh, our, our rival universities and stuff like yeah, that. And that uh, yeah, there's been quite a few. And, and the Patrick O'Sullivan one, I think uh, that was that was our first season. It was and quite that one, impactful. There was there was a lot of pretty intense stuff there that was really interesting to talk about too. Absolutely. For me, um, you know, Joe Bowen. You know, he's the pillar of of uh, Leafs Nation as their broadcaster for the last thirty something years. You know, I look up to the job that he does, and of course, with my broadcasting uh, career going on in the Ontario Hockey League as play-by-play voice of the Guelph Storm, you know, I have a lot of respect for Joe Bowen. So that was a neat one for me. How about you? Uh, Joe Bowen is where I was going with that. I mean, he is—he is the epitome of, of the hockey analysts for us, and he's been—I mean, he's—he—I hear his voice in my head all year long, and uh, you know, it was a great pleasure to be talking with him. Well, that is the season finale for us on Eastlink TV. We want to thank our producer, Betty and Matt Head, who had previously done some work with us on, on Eastlink. And uh, we will continue on for the next month on just on Blue Water Radio. But uh, we, we bid you adieu, yeah. Eastlink viewers, and uh, we will talk to you next week on Blue Water Radio on Hockey Talk.